Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the Makeover Master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is a business mentor, best-selling author, podcast host, speaker, and entrepreneur. He is best known as a co-founder of ls1tech.com, which was a massive online automotive community, which grew into the largest of its kind. He later sold the company for multiple seven figures. He recently wrote the book called The Side Hustle Millionaire, which helps empower people to build a side hustle business on Amazon. His latest venture is called 365 Driven. The business consulting brand helps clients become more process-driven and profitable. With his corporate background in managing nine-figure international projects, he understands that small businesses also benefit from the processes. What's really cool about his story is that he's worked his way up by putting himself through engineering school, by working as a pipe fitter and a restaurant waiter, and has basically lived the American dream, and now he wants to share that with you and help you realize the value it has along the journey. So, Tony Watley, welcome to the show, man. Lance, thanks for having me on. I'm humbled to be here, and I have a lot of gratitude for you inviting me to be here. Awesome, man. So, you know, you've obviously been very successful um, with a bunch of different businesses, but you've also, it looks like you've had to change over the course of the way. I can't wait to dive into that, but maybe just fill in the gaps, take us back to the beginning and, you know, where you came from and how it all panned out. Absolutely. I'm a small town boy. I grew up in a city. We, we actually, it was almost like a town, not quite a city. We didn't have any tall buildings. It's Friendswood, Texas. It was a suburb of Houston. I'm still a native Houstonian and been here my entire life. Uh, just humble beginnings, lower middle class, you know, thousand square foot home with one garage, two windows on the front of the house. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the more run down and older neighborhoods in the town. You know, I had a lot of affluent people around that I could see, but that just wasn't the neighborhood I was growing up in. And that actually served as an inspiration because I was able to ride my bike around the city and look at different things and see these people with extra cars in the driveway and these giant homes. And I was always wondering how it would be like to run around in one of those and look at all those windows. You know, so it was a, it was a, it was a very hardworking parent type uh, childhood relationship where my, my parents were both blue collar. My dad was in the military, U.S. Marines. He got out from serving the Vietnam War and he worked his way through the chemical refineries, which later led to me when I was 18, also joining those refineries and working within those. My mom, public school system, the entire career, she was working as a cafeteria lady, really just serving meals to children. So she taught me a lot about empathy and just being you know, a hard worker and just doing things. And they always taught me that if I wanted to do something, I need to put the work in, I need to figure it out. And they just never really did the handout thing. They just made us really tough. My sister and I, we just were forced to work to do whatever we wanted to do to become who we wanted to become. We didn't have allowance. We didn't have those kind of silly things. There was no kid gloves. There was basically the world is tough. The world is not fair. Go out and figure it out. Yeah, no, for sure. And now, Growing up, did you have that sort of entrepreneurial bone in you? Did you, or did that come later? Because obviously going through engineering and that kind of school, that's not easy. 
that's so much, you know, memorization and it's a whole other kind of, you know, animal. Did you have that, that feeling in the back of your mind that you wanted to do something for yourself or, or initially were you just wanting to be an engineer? I think the, the childhood, definitely I was the entrepreneurial stuff. You know, when we hear things like Gary V's talking about selling candy at school, that was me. Uh, for me, it was Jolly Ranchers and Blow Pops. I remember when those were all the fad. You know, give your listeners an idea. I'm 46, so that kind of gives you a time frame to focus on. But You don't look I, it, man. No, thank you, man. I think working out five days a week, trying to stay healthy, right? But basically, I would go to the corner store, which is about a mile down the neighborhood, and I would, you know, walk down or ride my bicycle, and I'd buy the entire box. And, and the guy that worked there got to know me pretty well because I was always buying a full box of candy, and I wasn't the fat kid, so he's probably thinking – well, he's not obviously not eating this candy, so he's probably selling it. And he would sell me a you know a big box of, of blow pops or Jolly Ranchers, and I'd go home and like kind of like a crack dealer, I'd bust out the Ziploc bags and just start separating them into like you know groups of three. And I would take those to school in my backpack and just sell them to the kids because I know that their parents didn't give them candy, so they would just give me their lunch money to buy candy. And that's kind of how it started. Is like, hey, I can you know basically triple my money when you think about the the profits of candy, and you know you're making. You, know, you spend five dollars and you're making fifteen. That's a lot of money when you're in, in grade school. <laughs> so, yeah. so that kind of the my mentality was always there. And you know, my dad was always like, "Hey, if you want to go, you know, make money, I know you're too young to get a job. You're you know, ten, twelve years old. Like, go push the lawnmower around and knock on doors." So we talk about people who are doing door knocking and sales to sales. Like I was doing that as a ten year old. So I would just basically balance the gas can on top of the motor of the lawnmower. And just start walking around, pushing it around and looking for yards that had tall grass, go knock on the door, say, hey, I'll, you know, I'll mow your front and your backyard for 10 bucks. And if they said no, I'd say, well, I'll wash your car for five bucks. And sometimes I would get both gigs, sometimes I wouldn't. And then I'd do a good job. So they would always invite me back every week. So a lot of times I had recurring yard revenue, even as a 10 to 12 year old when I was doing that. 13, I started doing more skateboarding and fixing skateboards and bicycles for my friends and making extra bucks doing that, maybe selling some parts, flipping parts here and there. And that's just kind of how I was always been. I was like, I, I don't have money. I can't get a job. So what can I do? I need to be able to just buy things and sell them. So yeah, I was ingrained in that as a, as a child. It's uh, it's funny how when we're growing up, so many kids have that, uh, you know, selling chocolate almonds or chocolate bars and, you know, going around fundraising, knocking on doors. And we all have that spirit. We all have that. We don't care. We don't give a shit what anybody thinks, you know, it's just about getting the money so you can go and buy the gumballs or go and hang out with your friends at the store. Right. And then all of a sudden later on, we develop all these fears of judgment and people. And, and it's crazy how, how that happens, you know, because you just telling me that I'm like, man, I was like that too. And so many kids, that's the only way we could get money. You know? I mean, and here's, here's the other crazy thing about it is back in the 1970s and 80s when I grew up, it was deemed safe that your kids could go around and knock on doors. And nowadays people think like, oh my God, there's all these child predators and things like that. Well, here's the bad news, people. Those people have always been around. That hasn't changed. Like the ratio of child predators has not increased. It's basically the social media and the news media have basically put a spotlight on them. So now we know that they actually exist where in the past it was just impossible to get that communication they're around. So, you know, don't put the kid gloves too much on your kids and let them actually have some failures and successes and go get that self-confidence, go do some door knocking if they need to, because that's going to greatly benefit them as an adult, even if they have that inner critic. Yeah, that's so true. And it, the news and the media, it all does that. It highlights these things and, and people think that things are actually getting worse, but 
they're, they're, they're not. I mean, the population's growing. Sure, you know, we may hear about these things happening, but I, like, it's the same as it's always been. It's just we hear about it more. And you, if you pay attention to the news all the time, that's all you're hearing. So your whole perspective is what they're telling you. And it's just so important to understand that so many people don't realize that. You know, Absolutely. Like, and you know, a lot of people think that people are becoming more ignorant and people are becoming less intelligent with time. And I disagree. I just think that the internet, especially social media, just gives people a very big platform to show how ignorant they are. Yeah, no, for sure. And <laughs> I wanted to, that I just brought up a good point because I was, I was listening to actually one of your episodes on your podcast with Jeremy Slate. Um, and I was, I, what I found really interesting about this episode was you guys were talking about um, social media and people sort of pretending and people not really, you know, being who they are, not really, you know, chasing one thing after another and not really having a long-term vision as to, you know, who they want to be. And I was listening to that and I, was, I couldn't agree with you guys more. I wanted to like chime in and be like, man, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know you discussed it, but I, I would love for you to kind of elaborate on, you know, what you see on a daily basis with that. And, you know, with social media, um, you know, kind of magnifying that and putting these people who maybe aren't successful or trying to become successful as driving Lamborghinis making them look like they've become this big business hit, but really they're not. Well, I'll tell you that in this day and age that if you can go and Google these people that you're trying to get this information from and they are non-existent, they probably didn't accomplish the things that they actually say they do because let's face it, Google knows everything. And I, you can go Google me. I'm, I've actually been online active since 1996. That was the first car forum that I actually joined as a guest. Oh, and I used to always use my name. So I was always out there one being out there sharing value, trying to help people get better, whether that was working on their cars or customizing their cars or drive faster, get better times at the track. I was always sharing what I learned along the way. And that bread trail has really served me as a benefit because anyone that wants to go look up me, Tony Watley, by all means, have at it. You'll probably find dozens and dozens of pages of things that I've done in the last 20 years, basically online. And that's a testament to other people who have also done things successfully, people who have built companies, people who have sold companies, a lot of this is public information because it gets posted in the local news or gets posted on some forum that's related to that business industry. And there's a lot of things that leave traces and you start to look at things. And if you have doubts, if you wanted to hire a business coach like myself or work with a guru or an expert, do your due diligence. Don't take it at face value. I mean, you could be a good looking person, be charming and sitting there next to a Lambo, but we don't know what's on the other side of that lens. It's you know, how long are they renting it for that photo? And you start to see that a lot. And, and honestly, I hate to say it, but, you know, guys like Ty Lopez, guys that are, made their name huge based on doing that. I mean, he even fully admits that when he started that knowledge video that everybody knows about, the guy with the bookcases in his garage with the Lamborghini, he admits that was a rented home with a rented Lamborghini. It was a perception that created a really a lot bigger reaction than he ever imagined. And then he was a smart guy because he's like, hey, I have all this attention now. I might as well try to do something with it and spin a business off of that. So he became like this marketing guru. And by all respects, he is a social media guru, master of getting attention. But did he do it genuinely? No. Did it work? Absolutely. So credit where credit is due. But that same business model, that same marketing ploy has been trying to be knocked off by so many other people. Be like, well, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And it's kind of diluted that entire playground of just fakery and 
you know, Jeremy and I were in yourself, Lance, we're calling that stuff out. And that's, yeah. that's fun because it needs to be called out. We need some authenticity in this world. More people need to see people are actually doing things, achieving things and not just talking about it. Yeah, man. And, and this is the thing. And I also, I look at these people and I just, I almost, I feel a bit bad for them because I don't think they really, it's vision. They don't really know what they want. They don't know what their why is. I think they're just so confused about external circumstances, people trying to be this guy, being that guy. I just think they're lost, you know? And it, it's honestly what I've noticed in, you know, the couple years doing this. I mean, I was a hockey player before. I've worked in bars. I've done a whole bunch of like different style of lifestyles and careers. But like what I'm noticing now is just the best thing you can do is just show up as yourself. Like that's it, man. Like just, just talk about things that, that, that matter to you and just really have like genuine conversations. That's why I love shows like this because just having people on, you know, without it being salesy, without all this other, these hidden agendas, just like having people listen to the conversations on a daily basis that you care about. And in turn, that'll build a following and an audience, you know? And I just think that's so important. That's why podcasting, that's why um, just putting out content that, that cause you're not going to sell to everybody. You're not going to, everybody's not your client. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a small, Hey, if everybody is great, maybe there is maybe, but I just feel like if you could just be yourself, you know, and a lot of these people just, I don't know if they've really done some of the inner work that needs to happen in order to realize the vision, you know? Yeah, it's a whole lot easier to be yourself too, Lance. It's, yeah. it's, you don't have to carry a liar's handbook down, around with you to keep track of all the lies you made and the stories you tell. Yeah. It's all based on memory and what you think. And I'll tell you that the, 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 fake, the fake people that are doing the things opposing with cars, they actually kind of ruin it for guys like me that are into cars that actually own stuff like that because it's oh, kind of funny because you know, I've got a couple Dodge Vipers and some classic muscle cars and I'm a big car fanatic. That was what my businesses were based around. And people who are just coming across my channel who don't know anything about me, they see this middle-aged 40-year-old guy with a bunch of cars. And I mean, I've had trolls like say, you know, nice, nice rental and things like that. And so it's kind of fun. You know, I enjoy that because I know the truth. And I don't, obviously I don't get butt hurt over things like that. But it's still funny that the skepticism from seeing that so many people doing this fakery, you know, the pose, like I had this fun, with the, I'll give you a story. I was sitting on a you know, a United Airlines, just a typical com- commercial flight. And I was doing a live video because we're waiting to take off. And I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some cool photos right now, you know, that I think that you always get you to see on, on Instagram. You'll see these on Facebook. You'll see the entrepreneur gaze out the window. And I'll do that like this, you know, looking <laughs> out the airplane window, like they've got so much on their mind and they're very important. And they're just looking out the window and they're probably holding the phone out like this. Yeah, And I saw, I started doing that from just the passenger seats in the back of the plane, you know, I found an empty road and I was just like, like, you know, yeah. hard thing, hard thinking multimillionaire entrepreneur staring out my jet, private jet. Like you got a big camera crew there waiting for you. <laughs> dude, it was funny. And everybody was cracking up. You're like, dude, and everybody started sharing the photos. So that just shows you that people want to see authenticity. If you can entertain them even better, you can inspire them and teach them. These are the main things I do. So even when I create posts online, I'm always thinking about the audience's perspective. What could I do to give them some value or entertain them or inspire them or give them some takeaways? And that's how I always craft everything I create. It's not about me. I could sit here and talk about myself the whole time. I'm a guest on your show, but I'm, 
even now I'm sitting here, I still want to think about your listeners and what value I can provide to them. For sure. And, and that's what I love. It's, there's just so many things that so many golden nuggets that people can get out of different things. Like somebody listening, boom. Oh, okay. I'm going to go do that. And then they literally go and make a new decision. I mean, that's, that's powerful. And I mean, I mean, I, that, that is what gets me fired up, you know? Um, but, oh, I wanted to go back before I forget and touch on what you said about that. See, you're a car guy. So now if you stand in front of your car, it makes you look like one of those guys. And that's the same things what happens on social media. If you put up a video or an ad or something, people just assume that it's bullshit because, because they've seen so much crap on there. So if you actually do something from a, from a place of authenticity, you know, and you actually say something, then it's really tough to, for people, which I don't blame them, to decipher through that, to say like, well, why are you any different? You know, why yeah, is what fun. you're, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. And that's why I think just showing up consistently, like you said, entertainment, you know, showing the true self, eventually people are like, okay, my guard's down. I don't need, this guy's all right. You know? Absolutely. And, I, and it's gotten to be where, you know, like that, that website I created was 300,000 members and I've been on the internet, like in the car scene for 20 years, obviously online. So whenever I do get the occasional troll that makes the comment like, Hey, nice rental. What's fun is the audience knows me and they're like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Like go use Google, bud. like come back later. <laughs> so when you start getting your, your, your fans and your audience to back you up, that's even more fun. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay. So tell us a bit about your big first business that, I mean, I know you probably answered this a million times, but tell us about that. And like what made you, you know, because you've obviously had a bit of transition in how you're doing business nowadays, right? Tell us about the journey along the way. So you were successful and then, you know, you wrote a book and then you've, you've created 365 Driven, which is amazing, by the way. You know, tell us about the journey along the way. You know, some of the things that somebody could really get value from that you've had to overcome, you know, whether it be personal issues or business or just, you know, the small things. Absolutely, man. That I, I'm a very competitive person and I'm sure you are as well. You said you mentioned playing hockey and things like that. that's a very competitive physical sport, obviously. Well, my mom is Japanese, so I'll start with that. And she's got the Japanese genetics of being five foot tall. And for the longest time, especially probably up to my ninth grade, I'd finally crested five foot tall. So I was the smaller kid, late bloomer for most of my grade school, junior high and half of freshman year of high school. So you can imagine I had bullies being interrate, you know, biracial and living in mostly a white suburban, you know, redneck type community. I've been beat up. I've had bullies because of who I was and who my mom was, even if I was really born as American, you know, and I was here and just the people are haters, you know, they've got a lot of racists out there and it's a lot of things that we, they learn from their parents, unfortunately, but nevertheless, I had those bullies and I had that chip on my shoulder and I was always believing that I could be strong enough, that I could be the leader, that I could be this. But physically, I was not strong enough. I was not fast enough. I was not big enough. So you're labeled with all these things that other people give you, these labels growing up. And it caused me to be very shy as a child. I was a very shy person. I kind of just kept in reserve. I didn't want to stick my neck out because that just led you to being ostracized or picked on or things like that. So I just kind of fit in the herd, you know, I just safety in numbers type mentality. Like a lot of people still have, most people have. And then I started to change and I started, you know, the, the bullies started to, to hit. And I started to hit back at some point. I just like the, the camel straw thing that, you know, I just said, you know, this is enough. And I started to hit back and then they started to leave me alone. 
And I kind of started challenging myself and it kind of around high school, I started to do more. I started playing high school football and went through four years of Texas football. You can imagine that's, that's rough. I'm not sure where you're from, Lance, but it's, it's equivalent to your hockey, I'm sure, because we didn't have hockey. I would have loved to play hockey because I like speed and adrenaline just crashing into things. So yeah. that was us in football down here. And I just really overcame my mindsets and a lot of things that I had these limiting beliefs about. You know, and I finally caught up. I mean, I became 5'11 my junior year of high school, became a normal-sized dude. And even now I'm 5'11", 185. I work out five days a week. I stay in good shape. But I had those, you know, those childhood bullies and that chip on my shoulder to prove people wrong. And that was a very good, strong motivator for me to go through things and just really push myself. And when you start to look around at all your peers and your teachers and even your parents telling you to, hey, go make six figures, go make six figures. You're going to be, you're going to be rich if you can make six figures. And the world still believes this lie. And I was told this you know, when I, you know, 20 something years ago, and that story, that narrative has not changed today. You still hear people telling their kids, like, go make $100,000 and you're going to be rich. And it's just not true. It's just not true. So how are the fastest ways for me to get there? Well, engineering, lawyer, or doctor, that kind of answer the question you're asking earlier. And that's how I chose engineering. It's like, well, I like cars. Well, they're like, well, you need to be an engineer. So like, okay, then I'll be an engineer because I can make six figures. I can get $100,000. And here's the, the lie is, even when I finally made it to $100,000 in salary, I didn't feel successful. I was looking around. I had a, had a nice apartment, had a new car. You know, and I was like, well, you know, it's, these are nice. I'm, I'm grateful for these things, but I don't feel rich. Like, this is not what I thought of rich, you know, like how I defined it. But you start to realize, and it was really into my mid-30s, I started to realize that the goals that I had set for myself were basically other people's goals. They weren't my goals. And that's what most people fall into. They, they believe what their parents tell them. They believe what their teachers or professors, their best friends tell them. And if they're, and especially if you're the most successful, you know, $100,000 person in your circle and all your friends are telling you how you made it and how you're, they're proud of you and you're successful, that can actually make you complacent because you feel like you've achieved some kind of a level that they've predefined for you that you're not going to be able to climb out of. So you start to feel like, well, I guess I'm at the top of this class. I'm just going to get all comfortable and hang out here forever. And that's what most people do. They don't think about the challenge. They don't think about, hey, I could become a millionaire. There's a lot of people that say they would like to be a millionaire. And here's the thing. You can be a millionaire. You, if you want to put in the work and put in that time and do the things, you will become a millionaire. You will be thinking like a millionaire long before you become one. And it's very important to keep challenging yourself and keep adding value to yourself by increasing your skills, increasing your knowledge, increasing the practice and the reps. Just put in the damn work. There's no easy way to get there. And nothing worth having is, is really easy. That's the, fact, that's the fact of life. If you want something, you got to do it. So getting back to the line of how the evolution of the company came about, one of the lowest points of my, year, my life was the year 2000. That was actually the year my son was born. He was born in January 2000. And I was in a relationship with his mother. It was the worst relationship I've ever had in my life. And I had plenty of girlfriends in high school and college and you know, I ended up with her and she was just, we were just miserable together, basically. Neither of us were happy, poor communication, lack of respect. And I just didn't grow up that way. And I was like, you know, this is not going to be working. But since we had this child and I lived with her about a year, you know, while she was pregnant and about six, seven months after he was born, I was still there. And, I, and I'm looking back after a few years after that occurred, I was in a deep depression because for the first point in my life, I felt like I was out of control. Like, like this destiny was created that I didn't have control of. And I was in a relationship with someone I was very unhappy with, but I was willing to make it work because I wanted to be the dad and do the white picket fence thing and just try to make it work because we had a child. So I was always 
looking at my son and, and wondering like, if I left, like who is going to raise my son? And that was like the worst thing, the worst fear I could have as a parent because I just didn't trust her judgment. And I was, and, and I, and that was a big fear. It's like, if I leave, it vacates this spot, then who's going to step into this? Is going to be some jerk that's going to beat my kid or so that, that fear kept me in that relationship a lot longer than it should have. And then there was a catalyst moment where she was just, you know, going off on me. And I, and I said, that's it. I was just, I had a realization like this is never going to work. And at that moment I decided, you know, she told me to get out and I got out. And so looking back on that, I remember that moment driving to going wherever I, I think I was just going to go look at apartments. And I remember in that moment feeling like, like I woke up, like, like all this weight and all this stress that I'd been carrying around for a full year had just been lifted and I could finally see clearly. And I started to think, you know, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Like I, I have hope now. Don't get me wrong. I was broke. I was unemployed for six months. I was in the middle of an oil downturn. I didn't have a job. I was living off of two credit cards that were damn near maxed out. I was about $40,000 in debt. And I was facing this child support payment that I knew was going to be coming up. I had to get a new apartment. I had a car payment and I had to pay for her apartment because she stayed home with the child. So I had all these bills racking up, excruciating debt, just coming out of a self-induced depression. And what was the solution to that, Lance? It was get a damn job. Okay, I got another job less pay. I said, this isn't enough. Go wait tables at night. So not only did I have a low paying engineering job, I got off at 4.30, was at the restaurant by 5.30, worked there for 10 till 10.30, made an extra hundred bucks every night. On the weekends, I could still go work on the restaurants and I could still go work on cars because I was mechanically minded. I used to do installs and stereos. I could wax and wash cars, a lot of different things. I could repair things. So I was always trying to monetize the skills I had and then I said, you don't have this creative side. I was always been artistic. I'm an engineer, but I like creativity as well. So I taught myself how to make websites on the side. And then I could do websites and I started building websites for small businesses, things I could teach myself to monetize. That led to photography. I started doing photo shoots for automotive magazines. I was a photojournalism for about six years as a side hustle. So you can see I'm always like trying to piece together things that I have interest in, passion in, and how can I make money from those? I've always been wired like this but I never have been the type to sit around and complain about my situation. And, you know, the fact was that in 2000, that was the lowest point of my life mentally and physically. But in 2001 is when I actually started that company. So I missed all that crap working three jobs is when I started ls1tech.com. And so that that's the story I like to share with people that always give me BS excuses about why they can't start. Tony, I don't have time. Tony, I have kids. Tony, I don't have enough money. Tony, I just don't have enough knowledge in that subject. You know, all these surface level excuses people like to tell you by why they're not doing things. And I, when I drop that bomb of a story I just shared with your listeners on them, they're just like, oh, crap. Like this guy, you know, this is another level. Like I need to be that. Oh, man. I just love that so much because there's just no excuses, right? You, I mean, just the way you, I, I was literally in that picture and I'm like, man, and what I really loved about that is that, you know, you're learning other skills that could be potentially, you know, income producing, you know, and what I, what I really fascinated about is, is how obviously things, the world's a different place now compared to 2001, but you've been able to, to look at what you have now and what you created then, you've been able to adapt. How, like, how important is that 
And like, how different is the world now when it comes to business compared to maybe paint a picture on, you know, what are the things that you had to learn from then that are so different now? Are things changing faster than they were before? Absolutely. I think it's a lot easier nowadays to start businesses. So that even removes a big layer of excuses when you think about that. I mean, time constraints with all the digital products and all the online businesses now, and now you got all these websites that are WYSIWYG, you know, what you see is what you get. You can just drag pictures around, write some copy and push save and you have a website. Back then I had to code the websites. I had to design the entire visual layout on Photoshop and then slice the little buttons out and make them all fit together on some web page. So I was doing the design and the coding, so it was a lot more excruciating. And if you had to change something, oh, man, it was like a lot of work to fix that as well. But nowadays, you know, with WordPress and Wix and one-in-one and all these different easy websites, like it's so easy now. And there's so many automated systems now. Like think about this. I made millions before Facebook was even like a thing. Wow. You know, we didn't have social media. Like, like we sold that website in 2007, right, at, right before the downturn in 2008, and then Facebook really started coming out in 2008, 2009 and started gaining popularity. So this was pre-social media. So our targeted ads back then were to go buy magazines that were in that genre and just flip pages. And, and my business partner and I would look at these advertisers and they'll say, well, if they're advertising in this magazine, they must have some kind of a marketing fund. So let's just call them and pitch. So we were doing phone calls and we just divide and conquer. You know, it's like, hey, you call these 10 tonight. I'll call these 10 tonight. And basically we do this because the internet, not everybody had web pages. There was yeah. thousands of performance shops. There was thousands of parts manufacturers on the internet back then, but they didn't have web pages. So you, you might find them on a white pages and have to find their number. Or hopefully if you can find an email to send them. So we're having to do all these cold calling basically. And that's how we made the revenue. So your listeners, you know, we had, we knew that if we grew the community of that, that people, that we would have more leverage to attract the advertising dollars. Simple economics. If we get hundreds of thousands of viewers every day and we were having about a hundred thousand unique visitors per day. So it was like a small city walking through that front door of that website and we could place ads in there to make ad revenue. So the bigger the crowd, the more ad revenue, the more you could charge for ad revenue. And we were making about $400,000 a year in profit as a side hustle, which really only took about 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's interesting because I went to school for a little bit for business and marketing in 2008. Okay. So that's why this makes sense to me because I failed because I, I wasn't ready, but, um, what we learned in marketing was like the old school, like, you know, the nuts and bolts of what you were telling us, like, you know, that old school mechanics of, of, of the business of online. Right. So in 2008, that's what we were learning. It was all about like Facebook was just a thing. Facebook was just a, Hey, look at that stupid picture of my friend. I met him here or she, it's a, it's a fad. It's a fad, it was, man. It's, it was, it's going to pass. Yeah. And, and you know what? I remember hearing about Facebook. I actually had met people that had it back in 06 when I was traveling anyways, but in 2008, it was a very interesting time because none of that was even talked about social media as a business as all that. And it's just crazy to think that, if I would have stuck with that, I would have learned, but I would have had to totally re revamp the whole approach. And I'm guessing nowadays in business school that it's definitely different. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know because I'll tell you that I get a lot of my business 
from small business owners who I like to deal with because I like dealing with the decision makers. A lot of them still have that old school marketing mentality of placing ads, doing magazine ads, doing billboards, like these really static type marketing, like just put your thing wherever eyeballs are. And you start talking about targeted ads, you're talking about funnels, you're talking about psychology and you know, landing pages and things and their eyes just glaze over. They're like, Oh, what the hell is all this? Yeah. I love because the old school way. I love it. I love, I love both, it. but you got to combine them and yeah. you got to, you have to adapt. You yeah. have to adapt. And it's like, it's like the old way of marketing is like, like a, a, the analogy is like the shotgun shell, you know, like the bird shot, the scatter shot. Like you just load a shell and you shoot it out the end and it just scatters and you're hoping that you reach some customer in there and you yeah. start to explain like, well, new way of doing that where you can target the people like specifically on what their, their demographics are, where they live, what their hobbies are, what pages they follow, your competitors' pages, and you can start placing ads in front of them specifically. You're not wasting all this money. And, and, and then they're like, oh my God, that's possible. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're still thinking about buying ads everywhere, you're like you're not, you're not evolving. There's so much more power to marketing nowadays. Yeah, because you couldn't trace where that where the sale came from. I guess from from it's kind of you know that you watch like Mad Men, you watch Don Draper that style, like the old school man. Like it's fascinating. It's just the marketing and how how it how it it's the same but different. You know. Like so here, here's how people do marketing wrong. <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite topics. One of here's how people do social media marketing wrong. They still have that old school mentality. This is what I know, and and, and it has no age limit because. Yeah. Let's face it, you know, when you're in your 20s and you grew up seeing magazines as well, you kind of still have that mentality. So unless you're a teenager, you probably don't have that mentality. But here's how you do it wrong. You get on there and you say, hey, I'm Tony and I, and I have this awesome product. You know, here, here's my Iron Man coffee mug. Got my awesome mug and you need this mug and this is a great mug. And, you know, they're just hard pitching or selling or talking about their product. Yeah. It doesn't work nowadays. That's just, that's, that's not interesting you're going to get unfollowed. People probably find you annoying because you're always just pitching and pitching and pitching. And the best way to do social media marketing now is let people know who you are. And it's not about your product. Like I don't even mention my product on my, my social media. I talk about world events. I give my opinions on things. I share insight, always the audience. I'm always asking them questions, giving them my stage. You know, I have a maxed out Facebook page. I, I give them my stage to talk on my stage. And that's, that's why they like to interact. And, yeah. and that keeps them interested. I noticed that. I tried to add you on Facebook, but you're, you're maxed out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens when you write a best-selling book. I'll tell you, because I, I used to think I had like 2,500 friends a year ago, and the book came out in May of, of last year, and everybody started finding you. It's, a, it's incredible. Incredible. That's a blessing. Man, that's, that's the perfect next, next topic that I wanted to get into. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Talk, tell me about your book. Side hustle, side hustle millionaire, or is that, that's how you yeah. say it, right? I yep. don't want to. That's right. Okay, perfect. So you've obviously, you saw, you saw, you know, the, the potential and, and you're, because you obviously had these things, you were doing them before you were already doing side hustles without it being a side hustle. That's or, right. You know, so, so tell us, you know, about that, that book, about the journey, man, and how it's been able to impact people, how it's impacted you. So the funny thing about that is it kind of goes back to the fakery discussion we previously had. Yeah. And I was reading a lot of these business books because I love books. I finish probably a book a week on, especially on audio. I, I flip pages probably a month, a book a month, and I listen to audiobook one a week. 
And I started seeing these side hustle books and, and, you know, build your own business books. And I was like, Oh, I have a lot of experience in doing that. Let me see if I can learn something. Right. Let me pick up some more tips. And I started reading these books and I was just really disappointed. I started thinking like these people are really writing books, teaching people how to shoot for a couple hundred dollars a month extra. I was like, you really writing a book, encouraging people like, Hey, if you can make a thousand dollars a month extra, like you go, go, go. And, and I'm thinking, wow, these people are writing these books. They've just never been exposed to the real side of business or they're just thinking so small that they've set goals that they only achieve really small. And here I am like making multiple six figures on side businesses. I still have one of those today. And I'm thinking like, why is there no book out there showing like how to make real money as a side business? Why do people think this is a hobby? Why is it that you think that just because you can spend one to three hours a day on it, that you're only going to make the same amount of salary that your current job makes in one to three hours. Like it has no relationship. When you start doing things online, the scalability, the entire world becomes your audience. The entire world becomes your customer base. If you do things right. So you got to get away from thinking about trading your hours for dollars. Cause so many people are listening. They're you know, making $20 an hour and they think I'm a $20 an hour person and they're hoping to make 25 someday. You got people out there looking at their salary and say, Hey, I'm making a hundred thousand dollars and man, I'd like to make $150,000 someday. So you set these really low multiple goals of where you're currently at. You define your self worth a lot of times based on your currently income. And that's unfortunate because those limits are only there because you put them there or your friends put them there or your parents put them there or your teachers put you there. So you got to remember there's no limits. Just get rid of that stuff. Quit thinking that income is relative to time. It's not, especially online. I can go to sleep and make thousands and thousands of dollars of sale wake up in the morning and you have $10,000 in sales from one of my retail businesses. So understand that time has nothing to do with the money that you're creating. It's the value, the scalability of the businesses that you create. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to write a book to teach people that you can actually make a lot of money part time and don't think about relative to your job. Don't, don't think that your salary is always going to be the main course of that dish. And the side hustle is just this little, you know, smorgasbord of things on the side here. Because a lot of times I've found, I found in my career that my side businesses actually created more income than my engineering salaries have. And the time constraints were completely different. Yeah, I had to go give eight hours a day working at the oil and gas companies I was at. And that was fine. I enjoyed that. I had a lot of challenges. But my side businesses were 30 minutes a day, hour a day, making damn near the same money. So now people are probably going, why, why didn't you just quit that main job, Tony? You know, why didn't you just like do the side hustle thing? Why? If I had plenty of time in a day to make double the income with the skills that I've had, the engineering degree that I paid for myself and the challenges and the processes and the systems that I was learning at these larger corporations that I could apply to my smaller businesses, why wouldn't I do that? That was like getting a free education and they were paying me to be there. I was responsible for, you know, like, you know, 200 to $500 million projects. Like that's some big numbers to play with. That's kind of exciting. You know, it's a good ego thing. It's I'm learning a lot of stuff. So that's the reason the book kind of started. And I just said that I'm going to write the book that I would, well, I would have liked to have read when I started my companies. And that's kind of the basis of it. And, and uh, basically I asked a lot of the entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs, like what are the main questions or excuses that you want to get over? And they started on my social media feed and we started a, a Facebook group that still exists today. There's 2,500 people in there now. And I just said, if I can answer all these questions that they put presented to me, that I will have a good book. So it was already validated. Yeah. And that was it's such an interesting point because 
everybody's identity, they shape their identity on their salaries and their jobs. And because you've made 60 grand a year, and because we've been programmed to think 100 grand, that's a lot versus the time we need to put in. The whole model is different than online. Like we're so, and people's identity gets lost in that. And they don't realize the potential that, you know, the time that you can open up by doing less work is actually possible. But because people think that you need to work, you know, 16 hours a day and, and hate your life, then that's success and that's going to equal this big return. And it's crazy, man. But I love how you, you explain that because there's so many people that are stuck in that. They're stuck in that mindset. Yeah, we got to we got to get them out of that, man. It's 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 tough, and I've got some really dear friends that I, I I'm a big candidate, and I can see potential in people, no matter what level they're at. I can see the potential in people, and I I, I really just try to get that out of them and help them find that potential themselves, because to me, that's one of the the worst things I can see is somebody waste their potential, whether being complacent or just having these self limiting beliefs. And that's the main thing is that people think about their, like you said, exactly. They look at their, their paycheck, their current income, and they define themselves that way. And, and I was guilty of that in the past. I mean, I wasn't always like this. I had to grow into this mindset and then learn over time. But I remember, you know, like I talked about when I was working engineering and I was broke and I had to go wait tables in the evening. I, I literally thought like if I could go make 80 bucks tonight, you know, and go work that four or five hours to make that, man, that's like 20 bucks an hour. It's worth it. You know, it's worth my time. And that's how people self-justify things. You know, we, we basically get paid enough to tolerate the roles that we accept. Yeah, and it has to do with your environment, who you around. If you're around people that keep installing that in you, then you're going to just think like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you're going to sell things, if you're going to sell things online, try to find expensive things to sell. Good point. Because the same amount of work, if you're selling, if you're emailing, if you're following up, if you're doing customer service, like the margin, which is the profit on that product of a more expensive item is always going to be more. Cause I, I've got a lot of friends who are like, Hey man, I want to start a apparel company or a t-shirt company. And they want to do it like, you know, Shopify. It's popular. It's a real thing. It's a thing that's going on now. And I said, how many t-shirts do you need to sell to make a hundred bucks profit? And they'll tell me the number. It's usually, you know, like 40 or something. And I, and I said a hundred bucks. Okay. So it's like, how many, 40, how many times do you think you'll sell 40 shirts in a week? And they're like, oh, this and this. And I was like, okay. So until their brand gets bigger, they're really just killing themselves trying to market this thing and get it out there to make, you know, five bucks a t-shirt really per sale. And then they say, okay, let me tell you about like my business model. I I have one company, it's a retail and distribution for high-end custom-made forged wheels. Like I don't deal in the cheap wheels, only the high-end wheels, like average tickets between four and $5,000 a sale. So I can get one email, help somebody, put wheels on their car. They're paying me in advance. I don't even have to open up my own wallet to go buy these wheels. I just have knowledge. I know what fits. I have the distributions. I've created the buy-ins with these companies to be able to position myself to do so, but I can make a thousand dollars off of one email. (laughs) Man, (laughs) the world is turning into a beautiful place and people, you got to see it like that. You know, it's a beautiful place. And for people to say, Oh, the world's changing. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like this technology. It's like, man, you got to wake up. You're going to see like the opportunity here mm-hmm. that we have, you know, to connect with people and to just show that because it's, it's, it's unbelievable, man. Like it's unbelievable to be able to go to sleep and be able to make that kind of income. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Sleeping, sleeping money or sitting on the commode money. I mean, that's, that's all, they're all good things when you can get paid for just being 
having created an entity, that's an amazing place to be. So before we get into 365 Driven, how does somebody think like a millionaire? This is what you said earlier. You know, is, are you referring to maybe scarcity versus, you know, abundance mindset or that kind of thing? Maybe just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the scarcity, abundance, fixed versus growth. I think that you can actually look your way into the millionaire, even with a fixed mindset. I don't think that it's necessary to get to financial success because let's face it, we all know some jerks and douches that are highly successful yeah. and they're very competitive and cutthroat and do things unethical. So you can definitely get there that way, but it won't serve you well. You won't ever be fulfilled when you're that kind of a person. I think it only benefits you to really think about what you can do to improve yourself. I think a lot of times people do not spend enough time educating themselves, finding those monetizable skills, creating that circle of influence. Like you said, like that is huge. Like you know, we always hear the cliche, you become the, 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 you know, the five people you hang around the most. Well, that doesn't mean the five people that live in your zip code that you go have beers with. It means the five people you let into your head the most, the people that's giving you the advice, the information. And if you're looking around at your friends right now and none of them inspire you, they're not doing anything inspiring and you guys are all kind of the same, like you're actually in a cage. You're not like in, a, in, the, right, in, the, in the right room. You need to find a better room of people who are inspiring you to do things more and find your potential. People are going to challenge you to step into a better role. And I need you to start to envision of who you can become. And I know that sounds kind of woo-woo to some people, but I'm, it's very important to have visualization. I'm a big believer of the law of attraction. Me too. When I, when I, when I read the book, The Secret, it was almost like somebody was reading my mind. Like this is the beliefs that I had had my entire life. And I just assumed that everybody else believed that same way. And, I, and when you start to pull away from everybody on different levels of success, you realize that we're not all the same. We must not all think the same. So I don't know. And so I didn't have a process or a plan or why I thought that way. But when I read that book, I was like, holy crap, like this is actually how I think. Like this is like validating the beliefs that I had. And and I used to daydream about things like that on a high level of detail, like the cars I would own, the houses that I would buy, you know, even like my wife and things like that. And, and it all came true. And it's, it's just amazing when you start to think about that. So that only reinforces me to be more visual about who I need to become. So thinking like a millionaire, think of like you're a millionaire right now. Think of like the future version of yourself. So like, you know, Lance, let's think about who you are five years from now. Visualize the level of success, the fitness, the relationships you'll have, the level of business success, the partnerships, the, the circle of friends, like start to really deeply visualize those and, and great detail. Like if you have a dream car, think about sitting in that car and playing with all the buttons and the smell of it, the excitement and the happiness that you have driving that thing around or just going out in the garage and seeing it. Like whatever it is that floats your boat that motivates you, really visualize that because you feed your brain with these goals and our brains are the most powerful computer ever developed. And if you set goals for those brain, they basically look for those opportunities that lead you to that goal. So that's how these visualizations work is when you set goals, it reverse engineers the puzzle for you. And it starts to go, hey, 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 Tony, there, 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 there it is. There's the opportunity. That's, that's going to get us closer to the goal. Like, do that. So I always think about future forward. I think about the future version of myself. And I think about where I want to go. And every single decision I make, I ask myself, is this moving me closer to that goal or moving me farther away? Every decision, even the meals that you eat, the simplest decisions tend to be a fork in the road every single time. Which one is going to move you closer to your goal? Which is moving you further away? And if you can become that aware of every single decision you make, 
it gets real easy to start navigating. And I'm not saying to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. But if you start doing, you're batting 90% going the right direction, you're going to get there a lot sooner than somebody that's just kind of no roadmap, no goal. Yeah. And I love that, man, because I, I, I completely 100% agree with you. And I hear it all the time from successful people. You really need to put yourself in that place that you've already received what you want. You need to feel it. It almost needs to, it gives me goosebumps talking about it. You need to feel what it feels like to, to be successful. You know, what is, what does it smell like? What does it feel like? Where are you? You know, like the more your brain, the more you can install that into your subconscious mind, it doesn't know the difference between reality or not. The more you can do that and visualize And Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this too, you know, with you, you are the placebo and all this stuff. It's if you can visualize it, you can start to really paint that picture. And, and sometimes you, you, you know, people don't understand if they think it's woo woo, they just don't understand how it works because it, it truly, you can create it. If you can envision it, you can create it. And man, I, I don't know about you, but I hear it from people like you and people who are so successful. If they're telling me that that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what everybody should do. So they need to kind of like leave their ego out of it and actually try this stuff. And when people do, they start to know, they start to see profound results. Same with stuff like gratitude, you know, being grateful for what you have, what you don't have that's coming, you know? It's- yeah, I actually had a, a podcast guest that'd be excellent on your show on the, on the mind, mindfulness and the, the gratitude thing is his name is Marcus Aurelius and he, uh, he talks about being gratitude. He was paralyzed from the neck down for, for about three months from an accident. And he never, they'd always told him he was never going to walk again. And he just thought he was going to be a quad for his whole life. And of course he's angry and he's had all these regrets and things that he wishes he would have done before that. And, and then he started to have gratitude for his adversity that moment and thinking of things he could be grateful for. Like, you know, he was a military and he's like, if I, if this would have happened in combat, I could have got a couple of my brothers killed because they would have had to carry me off. And, so he really started to find the inner grat- you know, gratitude from his martial arts training previously. So he is very strong on having great gratitude for even your strongest adversities. So when you talk about the bullies and, and things like this and the, the, the negative things that happen in your life, if you can show gratitude for those and realize that those have actually created who you've become today, that's when you become another level of the, the, grat- the gratitude. Oh man, so true. And that's happening for you, not to you, right? Yes, absolutely. And we're not a victim to circumstances. These things, if you can, I know it's hard, but if you can shift your perspective that these things are happening and it's like, what is this? It comes to, and you can actually, this is why meditation is powerful too. You can observe the thing and be like, why is this happening right now? You know, is it serving me in a way that's, and if you can look at that as a, as something that's serving you and that you're going to get over, that's, it's the same with when good things happen, you know, you can't get too attached. You know, there's always going to be the path. You're going to get pulled either way. And I just think it's so powerful to understand that those challenges are what makes the goal or what makes it all worthwhile. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 it's just a powerful way of thinking. And uh, you basically just goal set and you start thinking about your future version of yourself. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I've gotten to a point now, I almost feel like I'm watching a movie, a movie of myself and I'm just the main character in this movie and I get to pick the path because I know where I want to end up. And that's, it's just a really strange level of awareness. And I start to be more observant of the surroundings and the people that I led into my life. And here's the thing, Ed, that's, that's another great topic we can share with people is just if there's negative toxic relationships in your life, even if it's your parents, 
you got to make a choice. Like, do you want to just keep this and, and prolong it? A lot of, a lot of humans, we like contact. We like being connected to people. But a lot of times we hold on to connections for no good reason. And you got to learn to cut those loose. That's the hard part. Yeah, and you got to understand your energy is valuable. You know, your, your energy. You know, we, you have to understand. Is your energy worth being brought down to a low vibration? You know, you... If you want success, you're going to have to vibrate at a high level. That's how it comes. That's the law of attraction. If you're vibrating at low levels, having low-level conversations, eating shitty low-level foods, you're going to operate at a low level, right? And you got to be conscious of your energy that these people, if they're bringing you down, that's up to you. That's not them. That's the external. You got to understand you are in charge of, of who you spend your time with and have conversations with. You know? Yeah, that, yeah that's, 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 that is actually the same question I use to assess people now. I mean, other than like the initial assessment, because, you know, first impressions do matter, but we also have time to learn about people and get to know them a little bit more. And the simple question is this, ask, your, ask yourself anytime that anyone's involved in your life, does that person bring me energy or does that person take energy away from me? And you know, yeah. you know the answer. There's no vague, there's no in between of those questions. <laughs> Yeah. And you just need to start doing a better job of creating distance. You can do it politely. Hey, I'm too busy. Uh, you know what? You know what the best way of learning how to say no is? Is to start living day to day by a schedule. That's one hack that I'll tell you that most people do not do. I live based on a schedule. You know, Lance, he wanted to be on the show and, and do these things. Like we put it on a schedule. He and I are living on a schedule. And if you don't make it on my schedule, it's not going to happen because that's how dis- you know, disciplined I have become. So even if my friends want to go out and have dinner or whatever, it's like, if it's not on my schedule, I'm not going to go because I plan my day around schedules. Mm. And that makes it a lot easier to say no to people. It makes it a lot easier to have distance. Like you're saying, you're trying to keep away from people. Like, hey, man, I'm, I'm tied up that day. I got things to do. It's a polite way of saying no. People understand you're busy. But when you don't live with that discipline, they go, oh, who's, you, don't, you don't use a schedule. You're like, you just sit on the couch every night. You know, I mean, you have to live the life that you should be living. Yeah, I love that schedule part. And that's something that I need to work on better. And it's that scheduling and sticking to that because your time, it's amazing how it disappears, especially when you work from home or, you know, you're doing shows like this. It's like, man, a half an hour turns into an hour and then you go over here, you do something. You're like, what, man, where'd the day go? Like you really got to be so strict with it and yeah. And, and fit in those, those people and those things into it. I mean, that's a, that's great advice, man. Like that's gold. I, Look, we're getting close. We're, wow, we've already talked for almost an hour. <laughs> Amazing, man. I, I, I love chatting with you. But I really, I really want to dive into your current business, mm-hmm. right? 365 Driven, man. Like, I really want to talk about that and talk about your podcast. Talk about the effect that it's had for you and how important podcast is for people right now for building value and you know, potentially funneling that into their business. Well, I'll tell you the, the podcasting was something that I, after listening for a couple of years that I had interest in and doing, but to be honest, I was not the right person to be the host of a podcast at that time. I didn't have the public speaking skills. I didn't have the chops. I didn't have the vocal variety and the way to get people engaged and tell the right story and, you know, speak in the good voices that people want to hear. They like to hear the narrative voice. They like to hear no, they don't like guys with a monotone voice that just speak like this in one volume. And <laughs> I mean, you, you can tune into a show and you can, you can tell the amateurs from the ones who, who are not doing the things at the same level. And I was just honest with myself. I said, Hey, you know what, Tony, I don't do half-ass stuff. I don't put out half-baked products. 
I need to invest in myself to become the right person to host that show, to be able to get on stage and do speaking engagements, to talk about my services, my products, to promote the book, to be on the radio, to be on TV. These are things I needed to get skills in. And I'm telling you, like you heard the story from earlier. I was shy as a, as a, as a younger youth person. I gained leadership experience in the corporate world, 25 years in oil and gas. But even then, during that, I would lie to myself and say like, oh, I'm a good public speaker. I do slideshows. I do presentations at work. I do safety meetings in front of, you know, 50 people. I'm a leader. I have a team of 50 people. Like I'm good at public speaking, but you know what? That's a big ass lie. And a lot of people out there in the corporate world tell themselves that until they got to get on the stage and they're asked to entertain or engage an audience or tell a compelling story. And then they thought they're shaking like a leaf and they're getting the giant armpit sweats and they're starting to sweat profusely and their body temperature is going up 10 degrees. It's because, you don't have that skill yet. You may have that confidence, but you don't have that skill yet. So that kills your confidence. So what did I do? I joined Toastmasters. I started doing public speaking every single week, training every Monday. I would force myself to get in front of that room and do something. And it's kind of funny. You and I were talking about Lewis Howes prior to the show, and he had the exact same story. And it was funny because I didn't realize that until later on after I'd been at Toastmasters a year, because now he openly talks about it. That's how he got his start doing public speaking and his podcasting. We followed the same path. When I got enough confidence to start competing at public speaking and winning those competitions, that's when I realized like I actually do have the skill now. I have the confidence now. I can get in front of a room and speak and not you know be worried about how I sound or how I look. Or I have this this, this tactics. I can I can work the crowd. I can use my voice to control the narrative. These are all skills. These are not things that we're born with. Like listeners out there, listen to Lance and I. We both sound like very good speakers. We're very you know, polished. We don't say um and ah and and uh and you know and, and these annoying words. We just basically ha- don't have that. It's because we've learned a skill to get rid of that stuff. If you have the desire to become that person, if you had the desire to become a podcaster or a speaker, hire a coach, join Toastmasters, make yourself really uncomfortable for six, seven, eight months, and I guarantee you'll be a completely different communicator when you come out of that. So that is how I launched into the podcasting world. So it took me about a year of preparation, Lance, before I finally said, you know what? Okay, I'm ready for this now. I've got the confidence. I've got the skills. Let's just do this. And I would say challenging. I mean, you can even go back to my first episode. It was only about 40-something episodes back. And I don't sound as confident in that first episode as I do at this moment. So even here we are, like six months or five months later into the show, I've picked up another range of confidence in using my voice and being able to have more emotion in my voice. I don't hold back. I don't throttle back. After I've done enough public speaking engagements now, I decided that every time I fire up this microphone, every time I take that stage, I'm going to deliver the best version of myself that I can. I'm going to try to engage the audience. I'm going to try to entertain them. I'm going to leave it all on the playing field because I don't want to come off this microphone after this interview and think that I, I throttled back, that I could have given more emotion to me. It's like, that's, that's just disingenuous. It's not doing a service to the listeners. So podcasting has been huge, man. It's been able to have these awesome conversations with people that I would ordinarily not ever have a conversation with. So when you can get somebody's pure attention for an hour, be able to ask them questions about their lives and gain some information. Like we're both learning things. I hope that you've learned things in this episode because I've learned things from you as well. That's the beauty of this. We're having these these awesome conversations. There's people, you know, thousands of people out there listening to find these things 
and it's her, it's helping them too. So that's really what I get. I love. I, I come from a place of service. I enjoy helping people. I have this teaching type personality. Even as a kid, I was always the one that was the mentor and trying to help people learn to get better and challenging them and reassuring them. I never wanted to be the hater, never wanted to be the critic. I would look for the potential in people and try to extract them, as I mentioned earlier. And, and the podcast is a beautiful, beautiful way to do that. I mean, we grew up listening to the radio. We heard DJ voices. We, we admire people that are willing to do that. We admire the qualities of other people that we have in ourselves that may not be showcased yet. I admired people on podcasts. I admired authors. I said, I want to write a book because I would like to be called an author someday. How do I do that? Well, you write a book. You know, so you just basically identify who you want to become and get the help, do the training, do the practice, get a lot of reps in there, get the confidence, and then just take action. Yeah, I, um, I was thinking because it's funny because I actually had done a little bit of work with Michael Burnoff and he had suggested uh, Toastmasters. I've heard a few people talk about it now and it's something that I was looking at doing as well because you can, you can always become better. But it's funny when you talk about public speaking because it used to scare me, but I remember having to, I was forced to go in front of, I was running bars. I was running a, a bar program at the Four Seasons in Sydney, Australia. So I was my my direct boss was away. So I had to lead the meeting in front of all these these you know people, and I'd never done it. And when I went up there, I got a high from it, man. Like I don't know if you get that from speaking, but I get it from doing Facebook Lives. I get it from this. After our conversation, I literally am high. Like, and for me, I know that that's where I need to be. That is that, that feeling I get, I don't, I didn't get it from anything. Maybe scoring a goal in hockey in mm. junior growing up, like you get that feeling. It's very rare to get that fire lit. And I feel like that being able to bring that energy is definitely people can feed off that, you know, and these conversations. And that's why I think people can absorb it so well because they can listen to podcasts whenever they're, they're around, you know, and they're just kind of getting listening to it. But then, you know, to be able to be in front of an audience and to be able to speak your message to them and have them listen, it's a beautiful thing. And Man, that, that high is the best way I've, oh. I've heard it described. It's so true. I mean, even, even when you said that the arms on my hair like stood up and, yeah. and I feel like I could just go run through a wall. Like I want to go to the gym right now and just do some heavy sets. You know, it's just yeah. that is a great way to just, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's an endorphin release from just the, just putting it out there and feeling that passion. Cause think about most people's lives. They don't feel one tenth of the passion you and I have like expressed in this conversation, like on a daily basis. Yeah, man. Think about it. Like, and I feel bad for people that, that don't, they, and they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're, they don't even get to release that, yeah. you know, it's crazy. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they see an emotion. Their emotional rise is like seeing a headline news thing and just getting some rise out of that. And they're going, whatever that is, you know, and that's like their level of emotion for the day. And you and I are like are speaking with passion and like trying to encourage people. And that's that's powerful stuff, man. And if you could do that every day, like you're right, it's a high, dude. It is awesome. Yeah, that's why podcasting. And that's why literally, you know, I this is so important to me because I got into it because I, it was entertaining. I, I enjoyed it. I like listening to it. I, I respect there's people like Joe Rogan. I used to love, I've, I've found so many amazing people in the world from listening to that show and Tim Ferriss, each thing has its own Aubrey Marcus. But I did this because I generally love sharing people's stories and getting to know them. And 
And then all of a sudden it's turned into, and, and I really wanted it to, this to be bigger than it, it, than I thought it was ever going to be, you know, and it's amazing how these things can happen like that. Mm -hmm. you know? Because when you're really, something really lights you up, that's when you know, okay, I need to, I need to put the, the gas on this. I need to really like, you know, go with it. So yeah, man, um, it's exciting stuff. And I, yeah. What, what, so before we, <laughs> before I we go, got, I got no hard stuff. So don't worry yeah, about me the either, man. Good. I, I, I just want to respect your time. I'm good. Yeah, I'm like good. I like, I'm I, I could talk to you all day, man. I really want to talk about, you know, your day to day and how you help people with their, their business and structure and, you know, with 365 driven, because I was looking through it. You haven't been doing it that long, mm -hmm. but about a year or so, right? And about eight, about 18 months now, I think. Oh, okay. it was, uh, June of 2017 is when I finally made it public. Got it. So how has that been, man? Like how is, how is that, um, how is that different now than when, what you did and you know, how much, how much have you evolved and how much do you enjoy on a daily basis and how much are you growing? I know a loaded question, but no, no, it's, it's a good, cause it's, this is basically a reinvention of who I wanted to become in the last 18 months. And you know, anyone that gets off of this and goes and finds my Instagram page, you'll find that I keep it documented, everything. I have a Facebook business page and Instagram and you'll find old videos and things. Here, here's the thing that I did not want my life to be. I was at, I was in a major car accident, racing cars, and I thought I was going to die in the moment. I was approaching a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour. And in that moment, I thought, this is it. I even muttered to myself, like, well, here I go. And I just remember being peaceful in that moment. I wasn't scared. I wasn't panicking. I just thought I was going to die. And I remember closing my eyes before I hit the wall. And, of course, I survived. And, you know, the, the cat catastrophic car was just demolished, obviously. But when I got out, I, was, I did not have an adrenaline rush. I was very calm. The paramedics on the track checked me out and they said my pulse was really like just normal. And they're like, you just had a major car accident. Like you don't like you're the most calm victim I've ever seen. And it's because of my mind was racing of like, what am I doing with my life? And until then on social media, when you go find my entire life was around cars. People knew that I had successful businesses. Okay. But I didn't talk about like the analytics or the strategies of business. I, I help people in my circle. I've helped other friends of mine build seven and eight figure companies of their own. And they said, Hey man, you're doing this. You should do this for a living. Like this is, you have a real talent for this. I can tell you enjoy that. You've got a lot of energy around the subject. And I said, well, no guys, I got this full-time job. I'm making really good money at that. I've got these businesses I'm running. So like to me, like being a coach was just something that I never really thought about, not really thinking about, you know, I had the income coming and I was always busy. And then I just started to think about that. It's like, what am I doing with my life? You know, because on social media until that point, until June of 2017, everybody just saw that there were photos of cars and me and my wife taking trips. It's all we do. We travel and race cars, right? So interesting, but there's a whole other level of what I do that I wanted to share. And it's like, okay, guys, the two things I love in this world the most are cars and business. And I can talk about either of those all day long and have a great time doing that. So I'm going to start sharing more business ideas and business strategies and what's worked for me. And, and I'll tell you, I had critics. I had some people that I thought were friends start talking crap. Like, oh, you know, just, just keep posting your car pics and just like, who do you think you are, Tony Robbins? And, and I said, you know, no, I, I never will be Tony Robbins, but I'll be the best version of Tony Watley. And so basically that's when I started going all in and doing more investment in myself, reading more books, taking the public speaking courses, 
and just becoming the person that I needed to become to carry the story to help the thousands and millions of people that I plan to help. But that's how the 365 driven kind of kicked off. I said, Hey, I have all this knowledge and I have experience and I've done this. So let me write my book, see how that goes. And I'll tell you, like even on my vision board, it's the backdrop of my computer screen right now. When I started writing that book, I said, if I'm going to write a book, it's going to be an Amazon number one bestseller. So I basically made that as a goal and I put the logo right there on the middle of my vision board. So every time I fire up the computer every day, I see the vision board. I still see that Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. Before I typed the first word, I was like calling it out and I would tell people I'm going to write a best-selling book and I will do this. And, and when I put my goals out in the world, I'm a very accountability type person. I hold myself accountable, but I also love it when I have other people hold me accountable, you know, because when you put your goals out there, it's like, I don't like letting myself down or other people. So that just adds more pressure for me to do things. And that's, that's a hack. I'll tell you, if you're listening to that, don't do that hustle hard and silence crap and let your results speak for you. No, put your goals out there. Let people hold you accountable and call you out when you're not doing your job. But that's how the business of the idea of starting 365 driven. I'm building an entrepreneurship community. I wanted to have my business owner clients and friends to have access to all these influencers who are going to allow them to elevate their companies in different ways. Because not only do I feel concerned about the financial success, that's the easy part for most people. Like, hey, I just want to get rich and have money. To me, if you're not having good health, you don't have the proper relationships, whether that's friends or your lovers or any of those things, the things that actually make a human happy and fulfilled, that's, that's kind of the 365 driven. It's like my show podcast it's entrepreneurship focused, but I bring in mindset experts. I bring in fitness experts. I bring in wellness and, and business and success stories because I want the full package. I want a well-rounded, happy, fulfilled entrepreneur. I don't want the rich asshole type douchebag type entrepreneurs. And the people who are like into the get rich quick stuff, I can't help them because they're, they're not going to put in the work. There's no such thing as get rich quick. And if that's what you believe in, then you're probably not going to gain anything from what I teach. Yeah, you need the, but the, the people that are well-rounded are going to be the ones that are here for a long time. I mean, what is your, that's the thing. Like, what is your goal? Do you want to just make money and then just fall off the earth? Like, I mean, you got to think a long-term, why become, why be rich if you have shitty health? I mean, yeah. it's the full meal deal. It's the full package, man. And, I, and that's so important that you're doing that to be able to, to show that the entrepreneur, like the successful person is, is there's, it's such a well-rounded person. And it may be success to somebody, maybe more in one area than the other, but you got to have the full thing. You got to have the full spectrum. You know? Yeah. And there's also, there's always these, these trade-offs. I get it. We have a certain amount of time and you may have to, you know, put some relationship time towards the side to focus on the business, to get the business going. But when a business starts to take off, sometimes you can pull back a little on that time, invest that into your fitness, build the relationship stronger but you always have to be aware of that. Most people just aren't aware. They just focus really heavily on one thing. I mean, think about this is when you see somebody that's fit, when they walk into the room, you go, that person has discipline, but how many people that, you know, they're physically fit, but they're also flat broke. Yeah, no. And that's just the, that's just the battle. It's like trying to get it, getting all of those areas, ticking all the boxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, use that discipline. Like you've exhibited, being that physical specimen that you can have a lot of discipline to get that your, your physical, your diet, whatever it is. Like, why don't you apply some of that discipline in different areas of your life? Like you're definitely lacking in something else. You know, if you're rolling up in a 20, you know, 20 year old rusted car and you hit the gym eight hours a day, it's like your priorities are a little bit screwed here. 
use that discipline that you've proven to yourself, that you keep promises to yourself in different areas of your life. Yeah, because if you're also the consistency, if you're, if you're not showing up in one area, chances are you're not showing up in other ones too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I encourage people that follow me. I, I like to lead by example. I mean, I, I, if people follow me on Facebook and things like that, they see, but my wife and I, we travel around the world. We're always doing something. We, we have a bunch of fancy cars and I'm always trying to do speaking events. I do volunteer speaking events at schools. Just, I'd like to give back. I like to help as many people. And I think that especially the younger people need the help the most because they've been going through this process of only hearing about becoming an employee. You know, when you're young, they don't say like, Hey, do you want to be a business owner? They, they talk about, do you want to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, or nurse or teacher? So, you know, all your peers are talking about these occupations rather than challenging them to do something else like start a company. Yeah. So true. Where, where can everybody find you, man? I want to make sure it's clear for everyone. Cause you're definitely worth following, checking out um, your podcast, everything. Where can we find you? Keep it simple. One place is my website. It's 365driven.com. So the number 365driven.com. You'll find links to my book. You'll find the podcast, my blog, and all my social channels on that website. I love it. Make it easy on people. That's what I've learned too. Too much stuff, people get confused. 365driven. I love that. Now, if you just one more question. If you can just pick one thing to give to our audience that they can use to overcome adversity, whatever it is to go on to become successful in whatever it is they do, what would that one thing be? This is an easy topic for me because I, I monitor all my posts. I log the activity of the topics that I discuss, especially on podcasts or my social media. And the one topic that always gets the most attention is dealing with critics, naysayers, and haters. And I want to just have your listeners understand that they are part of the process that if you are sitting there thinking, well, Tony, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I don't have any critics. I don't have any naysayers. I don't have any haters. Well, that just means you're obscure. That means that you're not doing anything worth noticing. That means you're hiding in a cave or staying on your couch at Netflix every night, just avoiding the public eye. You're not doing anything worth noticing. And that's the truth. You're obscure. So here's the fact that you could be the best person in the world. You could have all the best intentions in the world. You could be doing things from the, the heart and you're still going to have critics. You're still going to have haters. Jesus Christ had haters. Jesus Christ had critics. Jesus Christ had murderers. Yeah. Think about that. He had all the best intentions in the world and he still had them. So understand that that is part of the process and that so many people sit on the bench at that field, on that game, just watching everybody else play on the field because they're so worried about what other people are going to say, or they're so worried about what people are potentially going to say. They don't even have it validated. They haven't even tried to see if people are going to say things. And they're going to give these people, these critics and these haters and these naysayers so much weight in their lives that they're just going to have all this regret. And I can tell you the worst thing that anyone's going to tell you that like you go visit the older people that are dying and they know they're dying or people with terminal illness. The number one fear that they have is regret, regret. So I want people to listen very carefully. If you got these negative people in your life, if you got these naysayers, these critics telling you that you can't do something, use that as fuel and throw that shit on the fire and use that as a constructive thing, not something to hide. Prove them wrong. Wear that chip on your shoulder. Prove them wrong. Don't go out there to purposely piss people off, but use that to just fuel your fire. Use it constructively. And here's the thing about critics. They're not going to be at your funeral. 
So don't let them run your life. That's gold. I, I love it. Use the adversity as fuel. I've been saying that. I love it. Now, the thing is, what my, my theory on haters is that I think about it and I look at them and I think they just see something in you that they want that they don't have that triggers them. It's a faulty belief that they know that they could either be doing more or that you're doing something that is triggering them. Otherwise, why the hell would they give a shit about what you're doing? They just see something. And I find it fascinating because it's like, man, like you're looking, they see that such a way that it's like they need the help. They, they need the love. They, because they obviously have something in them, but instead they're using that energy as a hate. But if they use that energy as, as fuel, you know, as something, something good, they would actually be pretty successful. You nailed it, man. It's, it's always them. And until you learn that, you're going to keep hiding from them. You're going to keep canceling yourself out. You're going to keep hiding from doing the things that you should be doing. You're going to keep doing things that are, you know, avoiding the discomfort of putting yourself out there. Like, I'll tell you, like doing live videos and doing public speaking, they're definitely the, the ultimate in vulnerability. And if you're not willing to put yourself out there, you're basically placing fear ahead of your purpose. And you need to make sure you have a strong enough purpose to say, hey, that fear is just bull crap. I need to get better at it and get the confidence and do this thing. And I can even find when I'm helping people with their businesses, a lot of times I'm a confidence coach more than a business coach. A lot of people know what they need to do. They just don't have the confidence to do it because they're so worried about what other people are going to say. And they're not even really worried about what people will say. They're just, they're worried about the failure possibly happening and, and having the, I told you so crowd. And like those kind of people come out of the woodworks because and I said, if those people are really going to hold you back, they're not your friends. They're not the people that are supporting you. They, like, it's, like you said, Lance, they, they have an internal flaw, usually some kind of a self-confidence or lack of confidence or some kind of internal flaw of their own. And they're projecting that on you to try to knock you down a notch so you don't crawl out of that box. They want you to hang out in that, that pity pool with them. They don't want to see you climb out of that. They want to kick that ladder out before you get to the top. So understand that when you understand the psychology of haters and critics and why they do, you'll actually start to feel genuine empathy for those people and you won't let them emotionally react. You won't allow them to engage. You'll learn how to diffuse. You'll learn how to thank them for posting on your social media because it bumped your algorithm so more people will see your posts. So you can use their comments constructively as well and, and use those comments that people make to actually to educate your audience on how to respond to them. Yeah, because nothing looks worse than just playing the game back and forth, right? It's <laughs> Key, keyboard warrior, keyboard grenades don't work, man. Just uh, diffuse, thank them for their time, and if they persist doing that, just block them. Don't wait. Don't yeah. don't try to prove people wrong. Don't try to win them over. There's just some miserable damn people out there, and you're not going to be able to help those kind of people until they're ready to help themselves. So just block them. Absolutely, man. I just want to say thank you for coming on. This was super powerful and. Just, just being able to sit with you and share space and talk about, you know, you're a true successful business entrepreneur that people need to listen to because you were successful before social media. And that is so crucial. When you're reaching out to people who, who are in business, you've been around, you've seen it, you've done different things, evolved, learned different things. And now you're doing things that are like, you know, you've, you, you've been able to adapt to what we're doing now. And in the next 10, 20 years, you're, you'll continue to do the same. So I just want to appreciate you coming on. Just want to say, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your value and your light with the audience, man, because this was absolute gold. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me on the show, Lance. I enjoyed it too. It's a, it a powerful conversation. And I can't wait to do some more collabs and, and get, to have, get to know you better, man. Absolutely, man. 365 Driven, Tony Watley, all the stuff, all of the information will be in the show notes. Make sure you check him out. You guys, check out the podcast. He's got great guests and he's got so much to offer. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this is impossible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. and We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.